0: John chapter 12, and I want to share with you today on the subject of Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. What does that mean? What's Palm Sunday? What's it all about? I'm going to quote four verses, and then I'm going to look at three kinds of people that I see in the crowd that greeted Jesus on Palm Sunday. Three different kinds of people greeted Jesus on Palm Sunday. And there is not a soul in here that is not in one of the three categories or types of people that I find in that crowd. Let's read John 12, 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem... They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And they cried out, let's read it together everybody, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for opening our eyes. And I want to thank you for drawing people closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell them, good to see you on Palm Sunday. Perk up and listen, you need this. I want to call this today, Jesus Christ Superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar. And as the song went in the 1970s and late 60s, Jesus Christ, superstar, are you really who they say you are? And that became a very popular play throughout America. But I want to ask that question. This crowd, many of them in that crowd, were asking that question Jesus Christ, you're a superstar. But are you really who they say you are? Now when we read the story of Jesus as he entered Jerusalem, as I've already shared with you, there are several types of people who were there. And before we look at the different types, I want to just kind of bring you up to speed on the setting. What made Palm Sunday Palm Sunday? Jesus came to Jerusalem during the Passover feast, the week of the Passover feast, This was a huge and popular and uh, just electric feast. Uh, People came from all over the region to Jerusalem. They would buy a lamb, and on Passover day at 3 in the afternoon, they would all at one time slay that lamb, and the priest would put the blood on the altar, and the people would all celebrate that God had passed over the children of Israel in the first Passover when they were about to be delivered from Egypt it was the tenth plague Pharaoh was about to let go finally and let the people go and so when God took out the firstborn of every one of the children of Egypt the children of Israel were spared because the blood had been applied to the doorway to their house And that blood protected them from death and from judgment. And that blood delivered them from slavery and bondage. Now it was so easy to see what God was doing. He was pointing down time to the day that the Lamb of God, the one and only, the final Lamb, would spill His blood. And everybody who receives the reality by faith turns to Christ That blood is applied to your heart, the doorpost of your heart. And the message of the Word of God is that when judgment falls for sin, and men and women are judged for sin, you who have the blood on your heart will be delivered. You'll be forgiven, judgment will pass over you, and you will be delivered to the glories of heaven because of the blood. So is it any wonder that Jesus showed up to be crucified at the time of year when Israel was celebrating the blood of the lamb? He was in essence informing the world, I am the final lamb. I'm going to be slain on Passover day. And when my blood spills down that cross, There'll never need to be another shedding of blood. It'll be the great once for all. There'll never need to be another sacrifice, another death for sin. And so he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, a symbol of peace and humility. On purpose, because he is all about the reason he came was to spill his blood. And so the Passover always brought teeming crowds of people. So when Jesus came in to Jerusalem on that donkey, it was packed. I I hate to kind of dumb it down or undermine the significance of the event, but it sort of had the feel of the state fair in in this sense. You walk in the state fair, everybody's excited. The weather is beautiful. There's thousands and thousands of people there. Happens once a year. It seems like everything is focused on the state fair during that time. You multiply that a hundred times, and you had the Passover feast. So here comes Jesus, and the atmosphere turned electric when they found out that Jesus Christ superstar was on the way. Now I see three kinds of crowds in this crowd. Let me talk about the first one. The first one was the celebrity crowd. The celebrity crowd. It says, a great multitude that had come to the feast. When they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him. And they cried out, Hosanna, as we all read, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when you read about this event, this was a good day in the life of Jesus. This was really incredible. Because you understand, folks, That Jesus at this point and this juncture was a famous man. To the Pharisees and Sadducees, he was infamous. To the people, he was famous. John tells us that much of the crowd was enthused and excited because he had performed the granddaddy of all miracles. He had raised a man from the dead and the Bible says that therefore the people who were with him when he raised Lazarus from the dead bore witness. They spread the word. This man who's coming into Jerusalem, while all of you are here for the Passover, he raised a man who had been four days dead. Man, that got everybody going. Here comes Jesus Christ, superstar. They came to see the miracle worker. It says, John tells us, for this reason. The people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. So everybody was talking about the miracles that Jesus did. He was like the circus ringmaster. He was like a, he was, he was the one who walked on the water. He was the one that cast devils out of people and touched blind eyes and they were healed and opened deaf ears and they heard. He was the one who taught like no man ever taught. In his time, in the zenith of his ministry, Jesus was absolutely famous. The crowd was enamored with his persona, drawn by the excitement surrounding him, intrigued by his charisma. This was the Christianity of the crowd. This was celebrity Christianity. At this point in his ministry, I guarantee you if he were here today, Jesus would make the cover of People magazine. He would make his appearance on Oprah. Hollywood would be having him sit down and make a contract for a movie all about his life. And it might just have been called Jesus Christ Superstar. We're writing a movie. We're going to produce a movie about this man who walked on the water. This man who cast out the devils and healed the sick. We're going to do a movie and the climax of the movie will be when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus was hot. Jesus was the man. Even wicked King Herod was intrigued About him. Luke tells us that, quote, when Herod heard or saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. For he had desired to see him for a long time, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. So you're the one that I've heard about. Jesus, can you jump through a hoop for me? can you heal somebody sick in front of me? Can you walk on water for me, Jesus? Come on, said Herod, let me see what you can do. I've heard all about you, miracle worker. I've heard all about you, circus ringmaster. Let's see what you can pull off in front of me. I want to see one of your signs. That was the electricity and the curiosity that surrounded the person of Christ he was a wonder kind he was he was he was totally unusual and totally unique he was famous and this crowd was a celebrity crowd the Christianity of the crowd this was the Christmas and Easter crowd the crowd of big events the crowd of the spectacle the crowd of the spectacular the entertain me crowd the crowd of the dramatic and those kind of people are alive and well in our day. We were at the Will Rogers Auditorium one Easter Sunday. A man walked up to me after 3,000 people had been out there, patted me on the back and said, Pastor Jeff, you bless me every Easter. <laughs> and I said, we well, can't be getting too blessed or you'd be there the next Sunday. So well, I'm glad I can bless you on Easter, but what was he? He was Christianity of the crowd. He was celebrity Christianity. See, the Christianity of the crowd, they're on the peripheral looking in. They don't really know Jesus. They know about him. They're intrigued by him. They're interested in him. They'll let you talk about him, but they don't know him. The Christianity of the crowd, celebrity Christianity, is alive and well. These are the people that turn out for major productions and special events. Nothing wrong with that. I'm glad to have them. It gives me a supreme time each year to preach Christ and him crucified to people who otherwise will never hear it. But I'll tell you, this kind of Christianity is alive and well in our day. It is spectator spirituality, the crowd that requires big bands and dramatic lighting, and high dollar productions and it's entertainment oriented and consumer driven. It caters to a crowd just like this first Palm Sunday crowd. A crowd enamored with Jesus but not understanding why he came or who he was. He's only known from a distance. The man on stage. Well that's the Christianity of the crowd. But I see another crowd there in this group on Palm Sunday singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, throwing down the palm leaves, which was just like the Hollywood red carpet treatment. It's like Jesus was showing up for an Oscar. I see the second kind of crowd. It's the curious crowd, the curious crowd, the crowd of the curious. John goes on to tell us in the same chapter Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast and they approached Philip and they asked him saying, sir, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. I believe that's the cry of so many people's hearts in our day. These men Represent a different kind of crowd. They were not content to idolize him from a distance. See, you can sit in church all your life long and not be saved. You can get so caught up in the Christianity of the crowd that you become used to hearing about him, learning of him, but never walking with him. Our churches are filled with people who are crowd Christianity people. And I say this in love that Billy Graham himself said, the greatest harvest world in North America is the church. And I believe that. You You can hear about Jesus so much that you become anesthetized to the real thing. It's like you get a gospel inoculation. You don't understand that you need to be born again yourself. And so we've got to move from this peripheral interest in Jesus and start moving closer to the center, to the reality of him. And this crowd of the curious was getting closer. They said, we don't just want the Jesus that is out there in the distance. We want to have a personal interview with him. We want to hear him ourselves. We want to see what he looks like up close. We want to have a personal confrontation with this Jesus Christ superstar we want to know are you really who you say you are because that's the question of the day that is the question of our hour that is what is being challenged in our culture that's what Larry King wants to know every time he's got a believer on his show is Jesus Christ just a superstar in history or is he really who he said he was I wanna tell you our message is he is exactly who he said he was. He is who he said he was. See, see the curious crowd says, I want to see what you say you saw. And so they came up to Philip. They approached Philip. And they said, sir, we would see Jesus. Now, now they wanted to meet the man behind the stage. They wanted to know more about him. And they wanted something more personal and more individual. We would call them today Seekers. Now, what I find interesting about these men is they were not Jews. They were Gentiles who had been drawn to the Passover feast because they had been drawn to the God of the Jews. See, see, these men had heard the Jews are celebrating something about blood. And we're drawn to this. We want to know about this blood sacrifice that purportedly delivered them from Egypt. There was a curiosity they were on the outside of the fishbowl looking in. They were willing to get into the fishbowl and look around. We want to know what this stuff is about the blood. What is this about the blood? And so they approached Philip. Now the reason they approached Philip is because Philip's name was a Greek name, and Philip was from Galilee, which was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. So they picked out from the disciples a man who had a Gentile name who they could most identify with. So being Gentiles, they picked out a man with a Gentile name, somebody they were most comfortable with. And that's the way witnessing works. I believe in friendship evangelism. I believe in witnessing to to people who know you and who you know. See, there are people who would be more comfortable with you than they would me. And there are people who'd be more comfortable with me than with you. Every person in this room, you have a circle of people that surround you that are in your orbit that are more comfortable with you than they are anybody else. And those are the first ones God's called you to reach for Jesus Christ. These people approached Philip. And they said, hey, you got a Gentile name. You're the closest thing we can find to somebody we're comfortable with. So tell us, how can we meet him? We want to meet Jesus. So they literally asked somebody they were comfortable with to introduce them to Jesus. I believe the whole world is looking for Jesus. They just don't know it. It's like an amnesiac An amnesiac knows that something is missing, that something is wrong, that there is somebody they used to know, but they can't remember their name or put their finger on it. So when you snort it, shoot it, smoke it, drink it, I believe you're looking for an experience with God. And the closest thing you can find is Satan's counterfeits. They said, Philip, we want to see him. We want to know him. We want to be introduced to him. We want to see what you say you saw. This crowd of the curious wanted to know the truth, to find out what was real. They were hungry for spiritual reality. I'll tell you what I see happening in our world. Religion's not cutting it anymore. Religion is not cutting it anymore. because it has a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof. It is ritual without substance. It is form that is void of truth. It is religion. It is man's best attempt to reach God when Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. Religion is man reaching up. Christianity is God reaching down. It is it is God wanting to save us. And so I believe there is a great heart cry among people. And this is why I will preach what I preach. I preach Christ and him crucified. Because I know that therein lies the answer to every dilemma of mankind. Paul described these seekers when he said these words. They seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. Oh, that so speaks to me, folks. Do you hear what he's saying? He's picturing the human race knowing that there's more, but not knowing exactly what it is. And so they're, they're groping. Where is He? Where is the truth? Where is reality? Where? And Paul said, guess what? and all their groping looking in the occult looking in other philosophies looking for him in relationships looking for him in drugs looking for him in so many different formats and venues he's not far from any of you it's like god is saying hey you'll find me at the cross You'll find me. Catholic religion, Protestant religion, Orthodox religion, isn't cutting it anymore. People are saying, I want spiritual reality. I want the truth. I want to have my own encounter with God. You, Philip, you, Philip, you, Philip, somebody introduce me to Jesus. They want to know the one behind the stage. I'll never forget one of the great experiences of my life was when I went to hear Billy Graham in 1972 hair down to here, here, <laughs> parted down in the middle, ponytail, skinny as a rail, blue jeans, pullover shirt, just a used-to-be hippie who got saved. And I went to hear Billy Graham because all I'd ever seen was the crowd, Billy Graham. I'd seen him on television. There have been a couple of times when I saw his show on television. I'd gotten on my knees in the living room and said, God, forgive me. But I had a desire I went from the Christianity of the crowd to the Christianity of the curious. I wanted to see him in person. And when I got in there, Fire Marshal walked up to me because it was packed to the gills. You couldn't fit another person in there. The man was speaking that night. Fire Marshal came up to me and said, you can't stay here. And I said, why not? He said, fire hazard. You're going to have to go outside. I said, I can't even get outside. He said, you're going to have to go around backstage. And go out the exit door. I said, really? You can't just let me sit down? I'll I'll sit on the steps, anything. You got to go, son. Sorry. So I walked backstage. I couldn't find that fire exit to save my life. I'm looking around and I see in front of me a man alone walking away from me. I said, well, he's got to know. So I started running towards him. And when I got fairly close, I saw the ducktail. If you ever seen Billy Graham, he has a ducktail. It's that evangelistic haircut. And I thought it can't be him. There's nobody around. But the closer I got, yeah, uh-huh. I said, "Mr. Graham." <sighs> he turned around. I just. Oh, oh, oh. i came to hear you i didn't wash my hand for a week he says praise the lord are you saved and i said now i am (laughs) No. no yes he said praise the lord tell me about it so for five minutes I went from the crowd to the curious, and I got to meet the man behind the stage. And I learned more about Billy Graham in five minutes than I knew about him in years of watching him, because I got up close. And he, I'd caught him on his way to the restroom. He was about to preach to like 20,000 people, but he took the time to ask me about my salvation and to praise God over it. And that affected me more than all the times I'd heard him, told me more about him. That's the way it was when you met Jesus. You get close to Jesus. You say, I want to hear from you personally. I want you to talk to me. I want to talk to you. That's, that's what it's like with Jesus. You learn more in five minutes when you draw close than you ever knew from a distance. And if you're a Christian, Christian of the crowd, I want to encourage you, Draw close, and you'll find out he's more wonderful than everything you've heard. Now, I see in this story the celebrity crowd was the largest, and the curious crowd grew smaller, but the crowd at the cross was the smallest of all. The celebrity crowd didn't go to the cross, and we don't find the curious crowd gathered at the crucifixion. The Palm Sunday crowd had wanted a good time, entertainment, excitement. But when you jump ahead one week to Good Friday, when Jesus was crucified between two thieves, we find Mary, his mother, we find Mary Magdalene, a couple of other women, and John, and that's it. All the thrill seekers are gone. The party goers have gone looking for their next good time. What happened? How in the world did the sentiment towards Jesus change like that in just a week? I got the answer for you. It changed because of the cross. You see, the Christianity of the crowd wanted worldly glory. They wanted pleasure, financial security, nice house, nice car, long retirement, good pension plan, love boat cruise. They wanted endless days on the golf course, then to be sleeping one night and die peacefully in their sleep. They didn't want any cross. But when the Palm Sunday crowd asked Jesus what true Christianity was, Jesus said, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for life eternal. And Jesus preached the Christianity of the cross. Not of the crowd, not of the curious, but of the cross. He started talking about dying to yourself. Loving God more than you love your own life. Being a servant of Jesus and a servant of others. Rather than the Christianity of the crowd or the Christianity of the curious, this was real Christianity, the Christianity of the cross. The Palm Sunday crowd was not there at the cross because the cross of Jesus judges us for our pride and sinfulness. On his way to the cross, Jesus said, now is this world judged. See, we don't like the cross, church, and the reason we don't like it is because when you come to the cross it x-rays your life and we don't like that we like to have our religion and our cake and eat it too we don't like something that judges our life and that keeps us from being healed because only at the cross are you healed only at the cross do you meet the real Savior. Only at the cross are you forgiven for your sin. Only at the cross do you attain eternal life. Only at the cross is the power of Satan brought, broken off of your life. Only at the cross do you have an encounter with the living God. It is only at the cross that the life of God breaks through on your life and the light of God breaks through on your soul. Only at the cross are you joined to the heavenly Father, by the Holy Ghost of the living God, only at the cross. When we come to the cross, we've got to confess and repent. The cross was God's judgment on sin. Jesus on the cross, and I know it's hard to understand, but Jesus on the cross took your sin and took my sin, and he was judged for it. He received judgment and condemnation on the cross for your sins and mine. I read about a missionary recently who had gone in the 1800s and ministered on an Indian reservation. And when he got to this Indian reservation, he noticed that the grass all around this reservation had been burned. It was out in an open prairie. And all the grass around the reservation had been burned. And the missionary said, why is all that grass burned? And the Indian told him, because we know that if we burn the grass around the reservation, if there is a prairie fire where the fire has been once, the fire can't come twice. You can't burn grass twice. So if there was a prairie fire, it would come only up to where the fire had already been, and then it stops. On the cross, the fire of the judgment of God fell, and sin was judged your sin, my sin, every time we've broken the laws of God, it was judged. And there the fire fell. And when you step under the protection of the cross, where the fire of judgment has been once, it's not coming twice. You have been delivered from judgment for all eternity because the fire of judgment fell on the Savior. The Christianity of the cross is the Christianity of salvation. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. He was referring to being lifted up on the cross. Listen, between the Christianity of the crowd and the Christianity of the curious and the Christianity of the cross, the cross is the least popular, but it's the cross that sets you free. At the cross, the power of drugs were broken off of my life. At the cross, I got saved. At the cross, I left the old man behind and received a brand new nature. At the cross. My hand was placed in God's hand, and I was reconciled by the blood of the cross. At the cross, the enemy of my soul had his teeth pulled out. He lost power over death, hell, and the grave. At the cross, the victory was won and Satan lost. At the cross is where I found my life. And at the cross, I met the real Jesus because he was found at the foot of that cross. My heart breaks, and I'm going to tell this to you folks, my church family, my heart breaks when I see the the vacuousness of the pulpits in our day in terms of talking about the cross. Don't you know that our nation needs to hear about the cross? Don't you know they'll never stop arguing and fighting and spitting venom in government until they hear about the peace of the cross? Don't you know that our nation, shrouded in darkness, walking, even galloping towards the gates of hell, needs to hear the cross? My favorite church in this city, architecturally, you see it on I-30 coming this way. It's a Lutheran church. The, the the roof was built at an angle going up to represent Mount Calvary. And at the top of that building, you see a cross. On their sign is a cross. At the front of their door, when you walk through and go into that building, you walk under a cross. There's crosses everywhere. Listen, I thank God for the cross. Without the cross, we would be undone. Without the cross, we wouldn't be in church. Without the cross, we would not be forgiven. Without the cross, we would be headed to a devil's hell with no hope or no God in this world. But because of the cross, we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. All the accusations against us have been canceled out by the cross. The judge has said, you are liberated. You are justified. Leave. He took it all for you. We've walked out of court, set free by the blood of the cross. We ought to be excited about the cross cross it needs to be preached all over the united states of america and all over the free world and the bound world it needs to be preached the cross because paul said i'm not ashamed of the preaching of the cross because there is the power of god unto salvation When that cross is preached, people encounter the power of God. We're here because of the cross. And you know what? We're going to do our part. This is why I'm asking God for a bigger building. I'm asking God for a bigger building so we can preach the cross to more people. Because I don't know about you. When I came to the cross, I got saved. I got delivered. It changed my life. How many of you can say that? If you're thankful for the cross, would you stand up today? Give the Lord a hand of praise if you needed this today. There's the Christianity of the crowd, there's the Christianity of the curious, and there's the Christianity of the cross. Where are you? And where are those who you know? My good friend, uh, Tony King, was in the first service, and when I walked out there after the first service, he said, man, you got really worked up today. You're sweating. And I said, yeah, because you don't just stand up there and say, I I think the cross will do you some good. (laughs) You preach the cross like you're talking to people who are headed over a cliff. You preach the cross like people who are sinking in a deep ocean from which they will never return. You preach the cross like it's your last chance to preach the cross. You preach it because it's the power of God to salvation. Father, we thank you for the cross today. We thank you, Lord God, for your blessing. I thank you, Lord, that I believe this is a crowd of the cross. And that means, Lord, that we're being positioned to bring an answer to a world that doesn't understand it. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Now, I want you to take a moment as Steve plays, and I want you to pray and say, "Lord, am I in the crowd? Am I among the curious? Or have I been to the cross? And if you need to go to the cross, do it right where you are. If you want somebody to pray with you, raise your hand. But you can go to the cross right where you are. Play, Steve, and let's everybody pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.